Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 10th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this morning is entitled, A House of Greater Splendor, The Hope of One Church-Going Fool. On Wednesday night, I was talking about this morning's service, my excitement about it, and I told the crowd who was, who was there Wednesday that I would be preaching from Haggai. Now, I don't know how or whether that's a Christian pronunciation or just a southern one, but I'm going to try to learn to say Haggai instead of Haggai. But I was telling the Wednesday night crowd that I was going to be preaching from Haggai and on the apocalyptic eschatology of Paul. Now, I'm going to use those words, and don't be afraid of them. Apocalyptic just refers to something sort of cataclysmic. And eschaton just means the end. So apocalyptic eschatology is just uh, this idea that the world will come to an end with some kind of great cataclysmic events. Okay? Got it? Apocalyptic eschatology. And so I told the crowd I would be preaching on Paul's apocalyptic eschatology, complete with references to the Antichrist, the mystery of lawlessness, the second coming. I could just see the excitement building in their eyes. I don't know why none of them actually showed up this morning to hear the sermon. I'm kidding just a little. A few of them did come. But it is worth asking, what does a room full of liberal Baptists do with a 2,500-year-old Jewish prophecy? I hope you've already heard the answer to that in what Howard shared with us. And what do we do with the Apostle Paul's concern for the end times? Stay with me for just a few minutes, not too long, and I will try to make that clear. Thank you to Howard for that wonderful background. I have told my congregation so many times that you have to understand Egypt bondage in Egypt and the liberation by the hand of Moses, and you have to understand bondage in Babylon. You have to know the Babylonian exile and the return. This happened some 600 years before Jesus lived. You have to understand those two moments of exile and liberation to understand the Hebrew scriptures. Sometimes I call them the Old Testament. Sometimes I call them the Hebrew Scriptures. You have to understand Egypt and Babylon to understand the Old Testament. You can't understand the context of Jesus' life and his theology if you don't know the way those stories of bondage and liberation frame Jewish theology and are also the foundation of Christian theology. Today's text originated in that historical moment after the exiles had returned from Babylon. They had been carted off when the Babylonians came over and over, overthrew Israel, destroyed the temple, sacked Jerusalem. They carried most of the people who were anybody off into exile into Babylon, and they were there for more than 70 years. When Cyrus of Persia overthrew the Babylonians, the edict of Cyrus allowed the Jews to return home. And that's the context of our story today uh, when the prophet Haggai writes uh, about the rebuilding of the temple. But our interest must be greater than looking back. In all scripture, there are layers of meaning, and the opportunity for us today is not simply to become better students of Jewish history. More important is to understand how this text can function metaphorically, as Howard has already shared with you, metaphorically as a recurring message of hope. Just as one ancient prophet believed God was calling the people to the hard work not of restoration, but of building something new. 
God is always calling a greater splendor, a new house, in quotes, always awaits. What greater glory might God have in store for us today? What structures of society do we need to leave behind so God can show us a better way? What hinders us, not from the prosperity of wealth, but from the great richness that God intends for true human flourishing? What policies in our local and national life keep us divided by inequity and insecurity? Is our structure of government a stumbling block? Our idolatry of military might, that blinding myth of peace through strength? What systems of thought, religious or secular ideologies, keep us from realizing God's vision of diversity and community? Diversity in community. The progress of human history moves through structures of nations and governments, religious and cultural expressions, and in each, God's hand can be seen. Yet each is superseded through time in the succession of ideas which we must believe is leading us to truth. Now this means that each glorious expression, each house, if you will, at some point will be destroyed will be destroyed in order for something new, something better to come up in its place. Many commentators have suggested that perhaps something like that is going on in our world today. The conflicts among religions, the intractable political tensions, the cultural divisions may portend the coming end of one glorious age. We must believe, as people of faith, we must believe, if that is so, that God has something greater yet in store, a house of greater glory. And now to Paul. I begin by telling you, and I think I've already shared some of this anecdote with you, but I was at a funeral for an uncle of mine not too long ago, and the pastor showed up to that funeral sporting a tie that formed his unyielding support of the nation of Israel. We thought it was an odd choice for my, my uncle's funeral. The star of David emblazoned on his tie might as well have been in neon. It could hardly have shouted any louder. Now this pastor has spent 50 years guiding his church down the straight and narrow of a rigid evangelicalism. And the support of Israel is central to that, but not because he's interested, as I am, in interfaith relationships, and not because he's interested in any mutually beneficial dialogue. No, that pastor's interest is eschatological. That is, according to his reading of some scripture, such as today's text, Christ will not return to consummate the current dispensation of time and to initiate that final apocalyptic dispensation. He believes the world is divided into five dispensations. We're living in the fourth of five dispensations. And for Christ to return, the Jews have to reestablish Israel. The temple has to be built. And then Christ can return. And at that point, the Jews and all other non-Christians will have a final chance to accept Christ before they are lost eternally. Now you will not hear Donald Trump articulate premillennial dispensationalism. 
But you need to understand that the members of the Evangelical Advisory Board who are advising the President of the United States are not interested in Israel only for strategic U.S. interest. Ultimately, their interest is the end of time, as they understand it. The Jews are our friends because they are the prophetically ordained means to the ultimate victory of Jesus over all. Now that's what these evangelicals believe. I hope you understand how offensive that theology is to so many and how dangerous it might be to have this kind of apocalyptic eschatology so close to the man whose finger is on the nuclear button. But theirs is only one way to understand the weirdness of this specifically Christian text. A better way is to recognize that Paul himself moderated the urgency of his position. When the literal return of Christ did not occur as Paul was anticipating, his later letters moderated his tone, and rather than encouraging apocalyptic watchfulness, Paul began encouraging faithful living instead. Paul changed his own understanding. Unfortunately, Segments of Christianity have not followed the progression of Paul's thought, and they have continued instead to emphasize apocalyptic urgency and Christian supremacy. Such extremist misreadings are possible in every religion. Such extremist readings are possible in every religion. So thank God most people of faith are not obsessed by end-time prophecies. Thank God most people of faith just want to be faithful. Most Christians and Jews and Baha'is, most religious people have no need to claim a monopoly on being right. Just claim their share in doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. We just promised little Aiden Mitchell and his parents, that we would help to raise him surrounded by the love of God and walking in the way of Jesus. Even in a cosmopolitan, pluralistic environment, which is ours in this beautiful city, we can raise our children to be Christian. We should raise our children to be Christian, unashamedly, unapologetically Christian, but this church will never teach our children any apocalyptic anxiety because this was never part of Jesus' own message. Now we will have to teach our children how to read the wonderful and sometimes strange words of Scripture. We will need to teach them to read with conviction and commitment in Christian devotion but our readings need not yield elitist, exclusivist claims to God's love and God's way. We can raise our children to respect and honor all people. And we can do so in an unapologetically Christian context. I believe God is already using that kind of faithfulness to raise up a house of greatest splendor. Not a house of watered-down, common-denominator, least-common-denominator religion, 
but a house where we worship in different ways, where the Jews are the Jews and the Baha'is are the Baha'is and the Christians are Christians, but we work together, we respect one another, we love one another. I believe God is already using such faithfulness to raise up a new house, a house of greatest splendor. At least that is the hope of this one church-going fool. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.